So as we start today, uh, let me say, today we are going to get into God's Word for a moment, but today we're going to do something we don't always do. Today we are going to read an entire book of the Bible, right? Now relax, it's only 25 verses long. So it's one of the shorter books of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles today, turn them to the New Testament book of Philemon. Philemon. Again, this is one of those that is not one that we highlight too very often. And so if you don't know where that's at, it's at the very end of all of Paul's letters, First um, and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, before the book of Hebrews toward the end of the, the New Testament. And that is where we will be today. So as we start today, that's what I want to read. I want to read the short New Testament book uh, written by Paul, the book of Philemon. Let's start there today. And, and if you don't have your Bibles, you can always follow along here on the screen as well. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all of His holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Verse 23 closes out the book of Philemon. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word today. Today we're looking at part two of a series that we are calling Famous Last Words. So, as we did last week, we're going to look uh, for a few minutes before we get started into the message. I want to look at some more last words from some famous people. Right? This is, uh, first one is from Stan Laurel. Right, it's on the screen there. Uh, some of you know him from a long, long, long time ago, right? He was from Laurel and Hardy, the uh, comic duo. Before dying, Laurel quipped to the nurse at his bedside that he'd like to go skiing. Well, she asked him, oh, are you a skier? And he said, no, but I'd rather be skiing than doing what I'm doing. Right? Those were his last words. The next one 
Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, had a, a lot of incredible speeches and rallying cries to give, not so much at the end of his days. His last words were, I'm so bored with it all. The next one uh, was from a, another guy who had a lot of good things to say. Lewis Carroll wrote, author, uh, wrote Alice in Wonderland, and yet his last words were, take away those pillows, I shall need them no more. That's really about it. This one I like. This was from a convicted murderer, Thomas Grasso, after eating his last meal in his cell. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. <laughs> Those were what he wanted everyone to know as his last words. Sam Cooke, who was shot, uh, died of gunshot wounds at the Hacienda Motel in Los Angeles. A very accomplished singer-songwriter, died at 33. His last words, lady, you shot me. That was it. And, and similarly, John Dillinger was a gangster, was a bank robber. And after all, uh, all of the chasing the cops and, and running away from the cops, his last words were finally, you got me. That, that's about it. And finally, Edward Abbey, who was an author, he was an essayist, his, he was a journalist, and pretty fitting words for a journalist were, no comment. Those were his last words. Let's look at the Apostle Paul then. The Apostle Paul, uh, keep on the slides there on the, uh, yeah, there we go. The Apostle Paul died around 67 A.D. We mentioned some of this last week, it just, this is just a refresher. He died around 67 A.D., and history says he was martyred at the hands of Nero, the Roman emperor. Uh, but around 60 A.D., which is the end of the book of Acts, basically the book of Acts ends around 60 A.D. with Paul's imprisonment. Uh, under house arrest in Rome. And the rest is, we know, from uh, history and, and tradition of what happened to Paul. Uh, but Paul was taken to Rome where he spent two years under house arrest. And this is the last verse in the book of Acts. Acts 28.31, which says, There he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The next slide says, During this two-year house arrest in Rome... Paul got some more work done than just spreading the gospel. He also wrote four books. Those four books uh, are Philemon, what we're going to be studying and looking at today. Also Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians. The last slide mentions the book of Philemon, and it says, the book of Philemon contains some unfinished business that the Apostle Paul sees to regarding two men, Philemon and Onesimus. Two people that Paul had likely met at some point during his earlier missionary journeys. So today, let me begin with a question for you. We started with a similar question last week as we started this idea of famous last words. Today's a little bit different. If you knew that your life was coming to an end, if you knew that your days here on earth were numbered, is there any kind of business that you would need to attend to? Is there, are there any matters left unsettled that you know you would wish to address? Last week we said, are there any, uh, what, what would you want your last words to be? And not some pithy statement, not some you know, funny comment that everybody would remember, but what would, what, what's the information? What do you want to communicate before you die? This is a little bit different. Is there something unfinished that if your life were to end today, something that you would eventually like to be done would not get done? You see, we all live like we have years and years and years in our future. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that our lives might end today. And so, answer it to yourself. If you knew that your life was coming to an end, I think we would live a lot differently if I knew tomorrow was my last day than if I thought I had probably 30 years in the future. So if you knew tomorrow was your last day, what would you do in that last 24 hours? Is there any unfinished business that you need to accomplish? Are there any debts unsettled? Are there any grudges you still hold? Are there any matters that you need to close? See, that is what Paul is dealing with here in the book 
of Philemon. These aren't Paul's literal last words. In fact, he still had six or seven years after he wrote Philemon before his life ended as a martyr. And yet, here he is under, the house, uh, under this house arrest for two years in the city of Rome. And God had told Paul in the book of Acts that he must also testify in Rome. Just as you've testified in Jerusalem, he says, you must also testify in Rome. That's in Acts 23. And even though Paul would be released from this house arrest after two years and would have another brief period of missionary work before he would come back to Rome for his final imprisonment before he was martyred, this city, the city of Rome, was the city where Paul would eventually die. Rome is where his life would come to an end for the gospel of Jesus Christ. During that two-year house arrest, Paul wrote four books. He wrote the New Testament books of Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And I believe that these four books read like just that. They read like unfinished business of a faithful servant who knows his days are numbered. There's a sense of urgency about these books to teach the churches what is important. To leave them with the truths that they're going to need to, to hold on to long after Paul's ministry and long after Paul's life is over. And difficult days are coming. These four letters are known as the prison epistles. Three of these four books, the books of Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians, were likely written right around the same time. And Paul says in those letters that he is sending Tychicus, one of his fellow workers, Tychicus was sent with all three of these letters to go take them to the churches in Colossae and Philippi. In both Colossians and Philemon, which are tied closely together, Paul mentions Onesimus, who we read about in the book of Philemon. In the book of Colossians, in fact, Paul calls Onesimus our faithful and dear brother. And he mentions in both these letters, in Philemon and in Colossians, that Onesimus is being sent along with these letters. So clearly, these two letters are being delivered by Tychicus and by Onesimus around the same time at, on the same trip. So today, we're going to take a look at one of these prison epistles. We're going to take a look at the book of Philemon, which we read just a few moments ago. It's one of the shortest books in the New Testament. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible, and yet I think it contains some pretty important unfinished business from the Apostle Paul. So let's take a look. Let's start with our notes that we fill in the blanks on the back of our bulletins, if you want to follow along with that. Here's your first blank as we start to take a look at the book of Philemon. Paul is writing here to Philemon, who he calls our dear friend and fellow worker. He says it in Philemon 1. Uh, well, actually, it's all Philemon 1. There's only one chapter. He says it in verses 1 through 3. Look at it again. He says, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul and Timothy are, are workers together. They're sending this letter of Paul out. He says, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon was a resident of the city of Colossae. That's why the Colossian letter and the book of Philemon are sent with the same people at the same time on the same trip. That's where Philemon lived. And he was a leader of the church there. The same church to whom Paul is writing the letter of Colossians. Paul mentions Philemon as a dear friend and fellow worker. Along with Two people named Aphia, a woman, and Archippus, a man, who some believe may have been Philemon's family. We don't really know for sure. 
Philemon is mentioned as a fellow worker of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's likely that Paul may have met Philemon as he ministered in the province of Asia Minor. We don't know for sure that Paul ever ministered in Colossae, but it wasn't that far from Ephesus and from the area of Asia Minor where Paul did minister. And so it's, it's not unheard of to think that at some point during Paul's ministry, he was in Ephesus for his, a, a pretty long time, but at some point he ran across Philemon, who he addresses as a brother, who then becomes a leader of the church. In, in fact, here Paul even mentions that the church was even meeting in Philemon's house. Now, we've started here lately in the last uh, year or so, and Brian uh, Perry, our discipleship minister, has really spearheaded this, and we've started what we're calling small groups or, or uh, life groups in our homes, right? Where 10 or 12 people, uh, maybe less, maybe more, come to somebody's house who you know, has cleaned out the house that week and bringing people over and, and, uh, um, and, and they, they have fellowship together. They study the Bible. They, have, they share a meal together. Let me tell you, just let me plug something else. Uh, as somebody who's done a life group with some very special people for about a year, uh, this, is, this is what the church is. If you're not fellowshipping with people in the church, if you think you're part of the church and all you do is come sit in a chair every week, then you're missing one of the big joys of what it is to be part of the church. And Philemon didn't just have a small group from the church in his home. Uh, it says that the church there in that area, in that region at least, the local church, it, it met in Philemon's home. That is someone who is dedicated to the church. In the next uh, line in your notes, we see Paul acknowledges a couple things as he starts. Number one, he acknowledges Philemon's love for the church. That's one of the first things he mentions is Philemon's love for the church. Look again at verses 4 through 7. Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all these holy people and your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 7. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Philemon loved the church. Paul said he had refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Earlier again, we mentioned that Philemon hosted the church in his own home. You don't just do that because you're bored and want something, some people in your house. He calls him, a, Paul calls him a partner in the faith. And yet, this man who loved the church so much, and yet, Paul writes to Philemon because there's still something left unsettled. Because there's still something that Philemon is holding on to that hasn't been dealt with yet. There's one more matter of business that Paul wants to make sure that Philemon handles in the way that a Christian brother should. The second thing Paul acknowledges, he acknowledges Philemon's love for the church, but he also acknowledges Onesimus's, that's a difficult word to say, Onesimus's new identity in Christ. Paul acknowledges this man's new identity in Christ. Look at what he says in Philemon verses 8 through 11. He says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as None other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you my son, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Every May before leading up to the 
National Day of Prayer, we've done something for the last several years where we have somebody standing here from Sunday night until Wednesday night, and for 76 hours, unless it takes us a little longer, we read the Word of God from Genesis through Revelation out loud. How many of you have participated and read in that before? Many of you. Well, the first year we did it, I got tickled because Wednesday night we were uh, reading through, I think we were, we were somewhere in the letters of Paul for sure, and we got to one of those passages, and this is what, if, if anybody ever says anything about this thing where we read the word out loud, this is what they're afraid of. They're afraid of getting to a passage where it's just a bunch of names, right? I hear that all the time. Will, could you please make sure that I don't have to read a passage where there's just a bunch of names? Like, I'm going to know exactly where we're going to be while we're reading through the Word. Well, one night, one lady, and I won't mention who she is. Um, I should, but I won't. One night, we're, the first year we're doing this, we get to one of these passages. It may have been Philemon, but it's one of these books of Paul where at the very end, he mentions five or six guys, all with difficult names that are uh, fellow workers of Paul. He would often mention the guys that he worked with. And when I thought of Onesimus, the slave in the book of Philemon, this is what I thought of. And this lady, uh, again, I won't mention who she is, uh, this is what she said. She was reading along and reading, and, and she came to a name, and all of a sudden her eyes crossed. And instead of trying to say it, some of you just say it however you think it ought to be said, instead she said, just like this, and this guy went to that place and then kept reading. And when he said, and, and also, that guy sends his greetings. And this man, and so she didn't even try to read the, the names at all. She said later, the Lord knows who those people were. I don't know who they were. Onesimus. It's a, it's a tricky name. It's obviously, I don't know why that's not one of the names that people name their kids today. But Onesimus was a slave. And Onesimus was most likely a slave who had lived and served in the house of Philemon. It makes sense that that's why Paul is addressing this to Philemon. And we're not too sure about the details in between, but eventually Onesimus, the slave, ended up meeting with Paul and becoming a Christian under his teachings. At some point, most scholars believe that for some reason, Onesimus had run away from Philemon. And whether he sought out Paul because he knew who Paul was, or he just happened upon where Paul was, eventually he became Paul's Christian brother. Eventually he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Eventually... Paul even calls Onesimus not just his brother, he calls him my son. I'm sending to you my son, who has become my son when he accepted Jesus Christ. And now he's become, this slave of Philemon's has become a very important person to Paul in the faith. And that is exactly the kind of change in a person's identity that happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I just can't, I can't look at people who, who after that moment of meeting Jesus Christ, who really look like the same person before and after. You know, their, their before and after pictures haven't changed any. And I've got to look at people whose lives before and after Christ are the same and wonder, did you meet Him? Did you encounter Jesus Christ or did you just say some words and, and repeat something after somebody with no life change? Because Scripture is clear that when a person encounters Christ, when, when a person is in Jesus Christ, that they become a new person. That their identity changes. And Paul talks about this new identity throughout his writings. Look just for one example in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is... What are these two words? If anyone is in Christ. Say that with me. If anyone is 
in Christ. Not if anybody claims to be in Christ. Not if anybody says the name Jesus enough. But if anybody is in Christ, what? The new creation has come. It's a new creation. It is a new person. He says the old has gone and the new is here. Tell me from Paul's words in that verse how a person before and after Jesus and really accepting Jesus can be the same guy, can be the same girl. Because it's a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Two things I want to mention briefly about this new identity. It's the next two lines in your notes. And they both start with those two very important words, in Christ. These two things happen in Christ. Number one, in Christ, we are set free from past sins. Look at what Romans, look at what Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 6 about this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Right, we talked about this last week. If, if God's grace covers all my sins, then why does it matter how I live? Well, Paul answers that. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live what? We may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. It might be gone. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone who is in Christ, church, is set free from their past sin. You see, no matter what Onesimus had done in the past, it was forgiven by God the moment that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that's interesting because the people that read the book of Philemon and study it have determined for the most part over the years, most of them think that at some point Onesimus ran away because maybe he stole something from his master. They say this could be why Paul says in verse 18 of Philemon that if he owes you anything, charge it to me. Perhaps Onesimus fled from his life as a slave by taking money from his master to be able to live out on his own. But really, without knowing the specifics of this situation, without knowing what uh, these things aren't specifically mentioned in what Paul writes... It's understandable that Onesimus could have, in fact, run away for all sorts of wrongdoings that he may have done to his master. It could have been because of all sorts of sins that he had committed. And yet, Paul doesn't seem to pry into his past or bring up any of those things. Why? Because in Christ, and those are the key words, Because in Christ, we're set free. Paul says that our old self was crucified with Him. That we are those who have died to sin, Paul says. How can we live in it any longer? If we are in Jesus Christ, our old selves are gone. The old man is dead. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't mean that all of the earthly consequences of the sins we've committed are gone. And we're going to deal with that in a minute. But if we are in Christ, the debt for our sins was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. That debt is paid. Number two, in Christ, again, the key words, in Christ, there are no barriers to love and forgiveness. In Christ... There are no barriers to love and to forgiveness. We're talking about a slave and his master here. Look at what, uh, look at what Paul says in another letter he wrote, this time the, the letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 28. 
Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is no doubt writing to Philemon because he needs to make some things clear about what's going to happen when Onesimus returns. In fact, think about it. If Onesimus is being sent back with the letters of Paul, the letters of Colossians and the, letters, uh, the letter of Philemon, it means that Philemon is going to receive back his runaway slave for the first time at the same time that he has delivered the letter that Paul wrote explaining all of these things. Where Paul addresses what Philemon is to do with Onesimus. It means that things might get a little bit awkward upon Onesimus' return. And Paul's letter, therefore, is sent to diffuse the situation and serve as a means by which to reconcile these two Christian men together again. That's what Paul is addressing. That now that Onesimus has come to Jesus Christ, things have changed. This isn't just your slave anymore. Because the grace of God does not see the same barriers that we have set up in our human world. Look at what he says, what Paul says in Colossians 3. Again, this is the letter written and sent in the same mailbag with Philemon. Verses 9-11. through 11, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its Creator. Here, there is, here, in Christ, in the new self, there is neither, there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Eventually, Christians would look to the teachings of, of the New Testament. T Christians would look to the teachings of the Apostle Paul in places like Galatians and Colossians, when he says things like this about oneness, about unity, about there being no divisions anymore. And they would use those Scriptures to eventually put an end to slavery in America. Because in Jesus Christ, there are no barriers of race. Listen, listen to this church. Let's make sure we know this. In Jesus Christ, there are no barriers of race. There are no barriers of social status or economic status or ethnic status. In, in fact, instead, Paul says, in Christ, we are all one. We are all one. And, and yet, here's what I find interesting in the book of Philemon. What's interesting to me then is based on that and based on what Paul says, in this short 25-verse book, you know what Paul never does? He never tells Philemon to set Onesimus free. He never does. He never tells him to let him go from his, his burden of slavery. He could have very easily used his apostolic authority to say, Christians aren't supposed to have slaves. And now Onesimus is a Christian. He's your brother. Re release him as once, at once and accept him as your brother. He could have said that. But he didn't. You know why I think that is? Because Paul knew that our status in this world is not as important as our new identity in Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we understand that. That our status in this world, the way we may view ourselves or the way the world may view us under its groupings and its categories is nothing compared to the new identity that, that we have in Jesus Christ. Because whether they were slave or free, whether we're black or white or Hispanic or Asian, rich or poor, successful or unaccomplished, None of this matters as much as whether or not you are dead or alive in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Now instead, Paul goes on to make another point here. His, the point is not let this slave go because Christians don't own slaves. The point is something different in the book of Philemon. And so let's look at it 
as we go on today. Let's look at a couple of reasons for Paul's writing the book of Philemon. Why is he writing this book? Number one, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. That's what he says in Philemon verses 12 through 16. Take a look at that again. He says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that I can take, so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a fellow brother in the Lord. Again, Paul could have just written a letter to Philemon telling him to tear up Onesimus' papers to set him free from his bondage. Could Paul have done that? Of course he could have. Or better yet, Paul, couldn't Paul have just instructed Onesimus that because he, the former slave, is now free in Christ, that he didn't have to worry about being a slave ever again and didn't even have to go back to Philemon? Couldn't Paul have just said, you know what? In Jesus Christ, you're, it doesn't matter who you are anymore. In Jesus Christ, you're set free. Just go live a new life. But instead, he is sending Onesimus back to his slave master. How does that make any sense? If you're set free in Christ, why is he sending him back to the situation of his slavery? But there's a bigger picture here than that. And here's the bigger picture. In running away from his master, Philemon had wronged him. I'm sorry, Onesimus had wronged him. Had wronged Philemon. And Paul is sending him back to make it right. You see, in the church, a lot of times when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about the person who has the debt to forgive. And we'll get to him in a minute. But let's not forget that forgiveness involves two people. That wrongdoing involves two people. And Paul makes it clear here that the pattern of someone who has wronged someone and then come to Jesus Christ is that you go back to that person that you've wronged and you make it right. It's not just on the other person, on the wronged person to forgive it. There is a responsibility to the person who has wronged their brother or sister to, to settle things and to make it right. Why else would Paul have sent Onesimus, the slave, back to Philemon, his master? He's sending it, him back so that these two can reconcile their differences. And church... Are there some here that have wronged their brother or sister? Are there some here that have done something in their past and, and against someone? You're set free from that sin in Jesus Christ, but there's still, an, a, a, there's still a responsibility that you go and make that right with your brother and sister. That you go and reconcile with the one that you've wronged. Look at what Jesus says about it. You think, well, maybe Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. All right, let's look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're, you're making a sacrifice to God, and you remember, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, what does he say? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. This unreconciliation stands in the way of a person being able to make an offering of worship to God. He says, if you're going to make an offering of worship to God and you've done something that someone holds against you, 
Leave the offering. Leave the gift of worship and go make it right with your brother and sister. Go make it right with the one you've wronged. Then you'll be able to come back and offer your offering to God. And you know what? Some of us feel like our relationship with God is not where it ought to be. And for some of us, it is because you have not settled things with the ones you've wronged. Some of us, it's because we're not reconciled to others and we're trying to reconcile ourselves to God. And it doesn't make sense. It's not what the Bible says. Number two, why does, why does Paul write Philemon? Here's the second. Not only is Paul sending Onesimus back to Philemon, number two, Paul is asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus. He is asking Philemon to welcome his former slave. Look at verses 17 through 21. Paul says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. Confident. Look at what Paul says. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul is not asking for Onesimus' freedom. Paul is making clear that what's important is that Philemon forgive Onesimus of his past sins and his past wrongdoings. And that he welcome him back as a brother. Let me ask you this. If Philemon welcomes Onesimus back as a Christian brother, you think they're going to have problems with this whole slave and master deal? No. Because if Philemon truly welcomes Onesimus back as a brother, that's more important than all that other stuff. It's more important than the slave versus master relationship. Freeing him as a slave would be one thing. And he probably did. Paul said, I'm confident that you'll do even more. But freeing him as a slave would be one thing. Welcoming him back and loving him as a brother is a totally different thing altogether. In fact, it's a greater gift. And that is what the forgiveness of Jesus Christ calls us to do. It's just like, think about it like this. It's just like when you were a kid and you or your brother or sister got into a fight. Let's say you hit one another and your mom and dad intervene with you. This, with me, this was usually one of my younger sisters. Usually me and Sarah or Emily would get into it. Maybe the three of us, who knows? And mom and dad would intervene. And your parents would make you tell them that you were sorry, right? But when you said you were sorry, how did you say it? It was convincing, right? Or it was grumbled under your breath? <laughs> sorry. Did you really mean it? No, probably not. And then your parents would say what? What? Come on. They'd say, say it. Like you mean it, right? Because apparently all of our parents read the same parenting book. They had the same tricks. They would say, all right, now say it like you mean it. Now, additionally, my mom and dad, because they got some enjoyment out of it, would usually make us hold hands and sit on the couch together until they just got tired of it. Can you imagine me and my brother at gym as teenagers having to sit on the couch and hold hands until we were really sorry? This is what my mom and dad did. You see, it's not enough to say that you forgive someone. When we talk about forgiveness, we have to understand this. Saying we've let something go is not the same as letting it go. In the same way that you saying sorry as a kid generally didn't mean anything. 
That's just like saying that you're sorry and not meaning it. Forgiveness cannot be done in words alone, church. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is done by welcoming them back in love. And yet, how many of us have forgiven somebody that we hope we never have to run into again? Right? And we say, well, yeah, I've forgiven them, but if I run into them at Walmart, you better believe I'm not saying anything to them. That's not forgiveness. That's a grudge that you're just holding in a different pocket that you were holding before. This is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is treating that person, welcoming them in love. Why? Because Christ forgave all your sins and welcomed you in love. Why would He expect any different of us? In Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22, Peter comes to Jesus to ask him a question about this issue. He says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then Peter probably thinks he's being generous when he says, how about up to seven times? Would that be good of me to do? What does Jesus say? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. By the way, every time I hear this, you know what I think of? There's somebody who keeps offending you and sinning against you 77 times sound like somebody who's really sorry about it? Does it sound like somebody who's repentant of what they've done? Not if they're going to keep doing it 77 times. And yet Jesus says, I tell you what, every time they come, forgive them. Every time they sin against you, forgive them. It's hard. Believe me, I get it. It's hard. But church, it's important. And here's the last note in your your. Uh, notes today. This is what it comes down to. This is why it's worth talking about. This is why we believe the church ought to forgive it. Forgive one another. It's the last in your notes. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ gives us a responsibility of forgiveness and reconciliation to others. It gives us a responsibility. If we are forgiven of our sins in Christ, we then have a responsibility to forgive and reconcile ourselves to others. Let me ask you a question, show of hands, this morning, church. How many of you are grateful and thankful for the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ? Show of hands. That's not as many as I thought, really. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you extend that same forgiveness to everyone who has wronged you just as freely as Christ gave it to you. Church, this this is crucial. This is our responsibility in Christ. Look at what Jesus says. This is the verse we'll close with today. Maybe we should have started with this one. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12-15 through says this. Jesus is finishing the Lord's Prayer as we know it when He says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. They're tied together. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 14 and 15 are two of those verses that put a lump in the throat of most Christians. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You tell me, based on that sentence, church, is forgiveness a big issue in the Bible? This isn't just about mending fences. This isn't just about saying sorry and holding hands until mom and dad aren't looking. This is about salvation. This is about our forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says, how can God forgive your sins if you can't forgive someone who's wronged you? 
How can he do it? I'm going to ask Chad and the band to come out as we close today. And as they do, I want you to give this issue some thought. I want you to give this issue some time this week. Because church, if, if there's something that is going, has gone unreconciled, some relationship that has gone unreconciled in your life, whether you're the wronger or the wrongee, this isn't little stuff. This is stuff that affects whether or not we can effectively worship God. He says, forget your altar, your, 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 your worship at the altar. Go and make it right with your brother or sister. He says, how can God forgive our sins if we can't forgive one another's sins? And you know why that is, by the way? It's because what you've done to somebody else or what they've done to you is nothing compared to what you and I have done to God. It is nothing. What you, that little grudge that you've held for years against that person that you don't want to see again, is nothing compared to what you've done to Jesus Christ, to what I've done to Jesus Christ. And He laid down His life for me. How can we receive that kind of grace if we don't give forgiveness to those that have wronged us? It's backwards. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, in those chairs today are plenty of people who just, you know what, they're, they're, through, they're gritting their teeth and they're saying, but you don't know what they did. But you don't know what, you, can't, you don't know in my situation. I know this, how will God forgive your sins if you can't forgive those who have sinned against you? Today, maybe you need to leave right now and go make some things right. Today, maybe you need to, to leave the altar and, and go make sure that that is settled and then come back. Today, you know what God's laying upon your heart. The question is, as we have this time of invitation, will we respond? What will we say as we stand and as we sing today? <laughs>